Well, if you will take your Bibles and please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we continue in our series. And last week I ended my sermon with stay tuned for next week to determine how to live a life of good days and a blessing while we sojourn through this world. And that is what the theme, the main theme of Peter's letter here, at least as I receive from the Lord, is that we are to live holy and righteous lives as we sojourn through a world that is hostile and evil. And sometimes that hostility and evil reaches us and affects us. And so we are going to be reading from uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, just two verses. Now, Peter is quoting Psalms 34, 12 here, and he's saying it as a supporting text to what we talked about last week when he said, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. That's how we're supposed to respond to the world in which we live. And also to the suffering we may save. But also how we are, or may face, and also how we are to deal with each other and people that we come in contact with. And now Paul, Peter, I keep wanting to say Peter, Paul. Um, isn't there a musical group, Peter, Paul, and Mary? Yeah, maybe that's what's hitting me. But anyway, um, but Peter now is supporting what he's saying by quoting Psalms 34. So let's read that. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know, <clears throat> we all desire to live lives that are good, that are blessed. I have never ran into anybody that says, you know, my goal in life is to live miserably. I want confrontation. I want things to happen to me that causes me to be unhappy. Nobody desires that. Everybody desires to have a good life, a life that is blessed. In fact, people who don't even know the Lord, who have never made a confession of faith, would say in, in the midst of adversity, why does God allow bad things to happen in this world? You've, you probably all have heard that. And so even the people that don't believe in the Lord and have a relationship desire good days and days that are blessed. We want to see those good days. And we know that this life, as we talked about earlier this morning in the praise reports and the prayer requests that we always send out, we know that this life has troubles at times. It has challenges at times. It disappoints us at times. It stretches us, sometimes beyond what we feel is our limit. But those times improve us too. 
Those times purify us. And they develop us. And they anchor our faith. That's what James says in his epistle as to why we go through trials and tribulations. To strengthen our character in Christ and to strengthen our faith. You know, we also are going to suffer at the hand of evil at times because of our relationship with Christ. Jesus himself said, they will hate you because they've hated me. And at times, although we may not see it to the level that our brothers and sisters face overseas in other countries, because we live in a country that allows the freedom of religion, allows the freedom to express oneself in their faith and to protect that freedom, we still face at times suffering from the hands of evil. And it is how we respond to that evil, to that suffering. It is how we choose and what choices that we make will determine more than simply the suffering that we face. What do I mean by that? It means that when we do face suffering, we have choices to make. Last week, we discussed several of them. Not to repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but to the contrary, we are to bless. Well, Peter continues that thought as to how are we supposed to respond in order to that we can see good days even in the midst of suffering. Because that's the one thing that we as believers in Christ can have. Blessed days, good days, even in the midst of suffering, where we have joy eternal, peace in our heart, confidence in the sovereignty of God. And the Bible is full of stories that show that. And so Peter now is going to quote again from Psalms 34, and from it we can draw from them the keys to having these good days, the keys to having a blessed life in the midst of suffering. And so let us look first at verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep. Now I want to spend a little bit of time on that phrase right there, let him keep. What does this phrase mean? In fact, once we understand this, it'll put into perspective what are these other keys to good days and blessings in the midst of suffering. In the King James, you might see it, if you use the King James, it might say refrain. It might use the word refrain. And it's very interesting to what that means. In essence, our tongues, how we speak, has a natural inclination to speak evil to speak deceit by virtue of our sinful nature. Now, there are varying degrees. I've, I've met a lot of really nice people that don't have faith in Christ. I've met some harsh people that do. But by and large, if the heart is wicked, and who can know it? By inclination, that's how we act separate of Christ. And so the phrase, let him keep from 
or refrain from calls upon the believer to stop the inclination of saying that which is evil. It doesn't mean to just try. It doesn't mean to just struggle on. It doesn't mean to to put an effort towards. It means literally to stop. Stop it. Don't allow it to happen. But how many times then do we say this? When we try to stop it and we fail. Oh, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. That's true. But you've heard me say this before. That sounds like a capitulating statement. As if we just give in to it. Ah, it's just my sinful nature talking. And we put up a little, we don't even put up a little fight. We just accept it. Now when we do this, there are consequences when we do that. Because for each time that we do do that, we make justification for that. It's easier to do it the next time. And then the next time. And then the next time. I remember teaching the youth about a thing called the moral brake. Like a brake pedal in your car. When your brakes are good and they're well serviced, you put just a little bit of pressure, your car comes to a safe stop. But as brakes wear, you have to apply more pressure. Soon, the pedal's to the floor and your car's still not stopping. That's what happens when we tolerate sin in our lives. It takes a little bit more pressure on the brake to come to a full stop. That's why we need to be conscious of the fact that we need to stop it. And when we say, let him keep, I really like more so the refrain and the reality of the fact that we are supposed to stop. Not just apply some effort. The second reason we need to understand what this phrase means is that we've been given the power to stop. God did not leave you to your own devices, to your own effort. He did not say, I want you to stop spinning. Spinning. Sinning. Good luck with that. He gave you the power by way of the Holy Spirit. When you gave your life to Christ, you were filled completely giving you the power to live this life in Christ and to resist sin. And when we confess our sin and we call upon the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to not sin again, He will give us that power. I think sometimes we stop short right there. We say, Lord, please forgive me for the sins. But we don't ask for the power to resist it the next time it comes because He will give that to you. He will supply all of your need. So it's important that we understand that phrase before we move on to the four keys to living a good life of blessing in the midst of suffering. And the first key, with that in light, is to keep our tongues from evil. Turn this on and it'll work. To keep our tongues from evil. Now this phrase means to keep one tongue from speaking harshly to others with anger, backbiting, (coughs) lying, coarse language, rash and provoking speech. You know, I was, the culture of security forces has taught me a lot of bad habits that I had to overcome. Because there was a thing that we we would go back and forth. We would dog each other out. 
and it became very harsh and cruel at times. And it was one of the things that was very hard for me to change when I came to Christ. Because you get in that environment, and all of a sudden, there they go. There's the phrases like, uh, you know, just, I don't want to repeat some of them because they're not appropriate here, especially that we're videotaping. But nonetheless, videotaping? Did I just say that? We'll get the VCR out and we'll, we'll, we'll dub that, right? But we would go back and forth and it was cruel. And we would find the cruelest things to say. And when we're faced with suffering, sometimes we want to lash out. Oh, no, you're not going to say that. Oh, you're not disrespecting me. I just interviewed a young man. And uh, he got in trouble for striking another airman. I said, why'd you do it? He was disrespecting me. With words? Yeah. Did you feel it necessary to lash out and hit him? Well, he was disrespecting me. Did you have no other recourse? Like ignore it, walk away, report it to your supervision? I suppose those are options. That's sometimes how we do with evil. We want to respond in kind. And last week I spoke that we're not supposed to do that. You know, above all the members that we have in the human body, the human tongue could be the most destructive. In fact, James has a lot to say about the tongue in chapter 3 of his epistle, and not much of it is good. Because the tongue has the power of words, and words can either build up or tear down. They can encourage somebody or discourage them very easily. They can give hope but they can also take it away. It could be loving and nurturing and kind and sympathetic, but they can also be filled with hate and malice. They can harm someone deeply, or they can forgive in love. That's the power of the tongue. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I remember years ago, Pastor David was dealing with a very difficult person in the church who outright challenged him. And in one of the board meetings that we were in, the man did not have very nice things to say. And in situations such as that, I... I I always assess and watch what's happening. And Pastor David was a man of grace. He sat there and he didn't respond in kind. He didn't defend himself. He sat and he listened. And I was surprised by that. In fact, there was a part of me that was sitting there in the board meeting going, are you going to just take that? That was a direct challenge to your pastorate. And he didn't. He didn't respond in kind. He turned him over to the Lord. And the Lord dealt with that man. How we talk to people or talk about them says a lot about who we are in Christ. How we respond to accusations during the midst of suffering determines how we are. Are we of Christ or are we of Tim? being disrespected, needing to respond in kind. 
I have said that our actions speak louder than our words, but it is the words that truly define you. As our actions could be mistaken, they could be misread, they could be misunderstood, but our words can't. And once they're spoken, we can't take them back. And even if we speak them in secret, what does the Bible say? They could be lifted and carried on the wings of birds. Ever had that happen? Where you spoke ill of somebody and somehow, some way, that person found out about it? It's no mystery. Now, here is something that we need to understand about the tongue. It does not speak on its own. It's fed by something. And what it's fed by is the heart. The tongue is only a speaker of the heart. And what comes from the heart. That's why in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, our Lord said this, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. Brothers and sisters, if our tongues speak evil of another, it's because evil lies within our hearts towards them. And this should never be. For we are to let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so the first key is to keep your tongue from evil. The second key also deals with speech. And it says that we are to keep our lips from speaking deceit. Deceit here means guile or deceitful speech. It describes when a person is not sincere with their words. Although their words may be soft, there's war in their heart. I read that from an old theologian. It's more than lying or bearing false witness. It's calculating. It's targeting. It has a plan. And it is meant to do evil to another person. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Deceit is such an egregious sin because it was Satan's weapon that he used to deceive Eve. His words were soft and agreeable, but his desire was to destroy God's creation. And as with evil, our tongue has a natural inclination to do the same, if we allow it. Because at the very heart of deceit is selfishness. The reason why you're deceptive in your speech is because you desire something you don't have or you want to destroy something somebody else does. In Genesis, there's the story of Jacob and Esau. And within that story, their mother, Rebecca, desired Jacob to receive the blessing that was rightfully Esau's to have as he was the firstborn son. So Rebecca planned a deceiving event in order for Isaac to bless Jacob versus Esau. 
taking advantage of Isaac's limited vision as he was getting older. And in Genesis 27, 35, Isaac told Esau that your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. He disguised himself as his brother. And he went in and gave his father some wild game. Actually, it was a, it was a lamb or a goat that was prepared. And he convinced Isaac that he was Esau. And therefore, Isaac gave the blessing to Esau. Now, that blessing is that inheritance. And so Jacob inherited everything. And when Esau heard about this, he desired to kill Jacob. And he hunted him. Now, at the end of the story, Esau caught up with his brother and loved him. But in between that time, the decision that Esau made, or the decision that Jacob made along with his mother, Rebekah, he ran from his brother. He wasn't seeing good days because of a choice he had made. And so we should never have deceit on our tongues. We should never be conniving, manipulating, or trying to get people to do what we want them to do because of our own selfish desires. And if you don't think that happens in a church, think again. We've almost had two church splits in this church because of that. People who desire, I think it was Bill Smith, Pastor Bill Smith of Calvary Chapel said, there's two people that come in the church, one that want to support the vision of the church and one that wants to institute their own. And at times that leads to people speaking deceit, trying to convince people to do what they want them to do. And it's sad that it happens in the church, and you probably have heard church splits all over the place. Or you might have dealt with a brother or a sister in Christ who deceitfully treated you. And so we know what it looks like. Let us never be the person that doesn't. Because when we do, we're not operating in the righteousness of Christ. We're operating in our own self-righteousness. Here's key three. Key three in living good days that are blessed in the midst of suffering is to turn away from evil and do good. Peter begins this verse in the same manner that he began the last verse. And that we're not allow our natural inclination to control our actions. As with speech, we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this life in Christ, and we must choose to do so in our actions. And here Peter calls us to turn away from evil. It literally means to swerve out of the way of evil, meaning we are to be so conscious of what evil is that we are to recognize it for what it is and take a wide berth around it. And how do we recognize what evil is? God's words reveal it. God's word reveals it. In Romans chapter 7, Yet if I had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. The Word of God reveals what sin is. That which is contrary to God. Evil is that which is contrary to God. And His Word exposes it. 
That's why we are to use the word of the Lord as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. When we live our lives in accordance with God's word, it will steer you away from evil. It'll keep you from being trapped. It'll keep you from your own heart. For when we write the scriptures upon our heart, it will change then how we act. Because the source of our actions, our passions, our thoughts, our speech, is all controlled by the heart. And we need to understand that all Scripture is breathed by God and profitable for teaching what is good, what is not good, reproofing for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So God's word is a lamp by which we are to be guided in this life and it also renews our mind and it renews our heart and gives us the truth of God's word and it puts to bay our natural sinful inclinations. And when we write this on our heart, it will too change our actions and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when we turn from evil, We are then to do good because when we turn from evil, we must fill the void with something because there's a vacuum that exists when we turn from evil. And that vacuum needs to be filled with that which is good. It's one thing to put your house in order. It's another to populate it. And we need to populate it with God's word. Now, the word good here means pleasant, means agreeable. It means joyful. It means happy. Who doesn't want that? As easy we can choose to do evil, we can equally choose to do the things that bring us joy. It's a choice. And what is good? Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is what is good for us to do. This is what is to replace that which is evil. This is what we've been called to do. I don't know if you've ever heard of the man by the name of John Lawson. Now, there's an old John Lawson, wore the wig, but this is a current John Lawson. He's a Scotsman, and he grew up in an extremely violent area where he lived and where his uncles were working for the local mob, managing the sex trade that was going on in the city. At age 14, he was fighting adults and winning. He was the muscle for the mob. They would find people who owe money and force them to pay or beat them. Sometimes they would pay and he'd still beat them. He also worked as a bodyguard and worked with some ex-special forces who would go in some of the toughest clubs in order to clean up the joints. Violence was his way of life for John Lawson. And as a result of his criminal activities and violence, he did three stints in prison. On his third visit to prison, a Nigerian man, kept inviting him to a Bible study. 
And when he heard they had free food, he went hoping to steal the food while they were praying, knowing that their eyes would be closed. When he heard the song, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, a change began to happen in John Lawson's life. He was given a Bible by that same Nigerian. And he went to a cell. And as he opened up the Bible in the middle of the book, this verse came up. It's out of Ezekiel 18.27. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life because he's considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed. He shall surely live. He shall surely not die. As a result of that verse in the Bible study, John Lawson gave his life to the Lord. He surrendered his life to the Lord, left his life of evil, and now goes to some of the toughest prisons in the world and speaks to some of the hardest criminals in the world about the hope in Christ. In fact, he's got a book, If a Wicked Man. Now, this is extreme as it relates to turning from evil to good, but that is what we're all called to do. No longer are we to live for the things contrary to God, but live in accordance with His Word, because when we do, we will have good days and we will be blessed. Brings us to key four. And that is that we are to seek peace and pursue it. Now, peace use here means to have harmony with others and a life that is spent maintaining it. At the heart of this peace is a mind that is at peace and a heart that desires it. And we get these from the Lord. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. True internal peace can only come by way of the Lord, by way of having a relationship with the Lord. Because peace answers all of those questions we have no answers for in life. It did for me in providing eternal hope. That in and of itself turned me to the Lord, knowing that I don't have to depend upon myself in this world, that I depend upon the Lord. And the Lord will guide me. The Lord will keep me. The Lord will bless me. It was a tremendous relief upon my heart. For others, you might have dealt with anger or jealousy. Or you might have dealt with confrontations in your life that has resulted in deep-seated wounds. Only the peace of the Lord can penetrate deep within our souls and heal those wounds and put your mind at peace. And because, of we have, because we have the peace of the Lord, we got to maintain it. We have to maintain it. We are unstable creatures at times. We can be disrupted by life that can rob us of our peace. That's why we are to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful we are to seek it. We are to pursue it. We are to maintain it at all times. 
And we do that by walking in His Word. Now, peace, as with unity, is fragile in the body of Christ. And there are people who are very difficult to deal with in life. Or maybe you're one of those people who is difficult to deal with as it relates to peace. I remember interviewing a lady for my job, and she had a rough life. And I could tell at the end of the interview, most of her difficult situations that she faced in life were self-generated by the choices she made. She couldn't see that. I could see it. And so I asked her, I said, you know, you've lost several jobs. You've been divorced several times. And um, you're not rehirable for other jobs. I said, we have an expression with fishing. One's an accident, two's a coincidence. Three's a, one's an accident, two is luck, three is a coincidence. Actually, I'm wrong. One is an accident, two's coincidence, and three is a pattern. We could dub that later on the VHS. But my point in saying that to her was trying to get her to understand that maybe she was the one that was at the, she was the common denominator in all of her life's troubles. And it's funny because my job deals with people who have lost jobs, people who have had problems with law enforcement, people who have had issues with drugs. And more times than not, it's the choices they made that was determining their life and not the fate that they faced or they thought they faced. And so the first step in pursuing peace is we need to examine ourselves to ensure that we're not the one that's not creating that peace or we're the one disrupting that peace, excuse me. One cannot be at peace with others if they're not at peace with themselves. One cannot love others if they don't love themselves, not in a self-righteous way, but in a godly accepting way. And we can only obtain that peace through Christ. And so we first must examine ourselves to see if that same peace resides within us and that we are exuding that peace with others. The second piece is to pursue peace with others. Now, there's a lot of curriculum on peacemaking, and some of us have been through the classes, but it's a perishable skill. And at the very heart of it, desiring peace with others is desiring a harmonious environment with others, resolving conflict in a loving way to, for the sake and maintainment of peace. Peace is as critical as unity and love. And we see that earlier in, in the scriptures that we're to have love and sympathy and tenderheartedness and humility. Those are all keys as well in maintaining peace. Because when we live in peace with each other, that's when we're truly blessed. Even if those others don't have good intentions towards us. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, 
I'm sorry, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. As Christians, as believers in Christ, it is our purpose as well to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to grow in the maturity of Jesus Christ, to love our brothers, to be tender-hearted, to be sympathetic, but it's also to maintain peace with each other and the world, even in the midst of suffering. And so the keys to good days of a blessed life in the midst of suffering is to keep our tongues from evil, to keep our lips from speaking that deceit, to turn away from evil and to do good, and to seek peace in pursuing it. And so Peter then concludes with verse 12 by quoting out of, again, Psalms 34. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's break that down. Because there's a principle here that must be understood. First, God's hand is with the righteous. Those whom are His. Those who have placed their faith in Christ and desire to walk in accordance with His precepts. God's hands and favor are on His children, and He blesses them with an abundant life in Christ. God desires so much to reward His children, no different than you as a parent want to reward your children, because He loves us with an everlasting love. But we must also heed the warning as well, for in the latter part of verse 12, we see that His face is against those who do evil. God will not bless evil. It's against His character. He won't do it. His face is against those who do evil. Notice He didn't say the evil. Notice He didn't say those who are evil. He said against those who do evil. He's not only speaking to those who do not believe in Him, but He's also speaking to those that do. What this means is when our tongues are prone to evil and our lips are prone to deceit and our actions are evil towards another, God will not bless that life. Our salvation may be secure. We're not talking about that. But we will not have a blessed life in our relationship with God if we act that way. In fact, for the believer, it brings discipline. It'll bring correction. And that could be a very rough time. In fact, I think we can feel the afternoon of testimonies where we all have acted not in a righteous way and God had disciplined us in order to steer us back to where we need to be. God uses circumstances in life to teach us that. So if you're going through a circumstance in life, it's always good to examine oneself to see what the Lord is doing in that. For He does work out good for those whom He loves. He will allow circumstances to affect your life in order to get your attention and to put it back on Him. Because He loves you that much. No different than a parent would not allow a child to just act a fool without appropriate discipline. The Lord loves us, and He will do that if we're acting contrary to His Word. 
And we're not talking without our knowledge. We're talking intentional actions. You know what you're doing. Or at least I hope you do, if you are doing it. And so we must not speak and act in an evil way and hinder the blessings that God has for your life. So brothers and sisters, this, there's a protocol to having a good days and a blessed life in the face of suffering. And it begins with what we've learned here this morning by examining these scriptures. How we live this life will determine much of the type of days we will have. Now please don't misunderstand. This doesn't mean that we will live longer if we apply these steps because our lives are in the Lord's hands and our days are numbered. And as I heard this week, a good friend of mine suffered a massive stroke at 54 and was taken home. And she loved the Lord. She loved to go to church and praise and worship and dance to the glory of God. God called her home at 54. So it doesn't mean you're going to live longer days, but it will mean the days you live will be good days. Be full of joy. They'll be full of peace. They'll be full of purpose and intent. They'll give you the strength to overcome that which you face, the trial or the tribulation or the suffering that comes. It allows you to rise above it like an eagle with wings over the troubles of the world. And so when we face suffering, or our interaction amongst ourselves, or our interactions out in the world, don't let your tongue speak evil of them. Don't let your lips entertain deceit. Turn away from evil. Do what is good. Seek peace. And pursue it. For if you do, you will have good days. You will have blessings from the Lord, even in the midst of suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it always encourages us, but also, Lord, thank you that it challenges us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts now, Lord, as to what we have heard, and let us walk in it. I thank you for your word, Lord. Let us now be obedient to it. In Jesus' name. Amen.